This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Madeline Cummings. Welcome to The Loop. I'm filling in for Claire Bonnyman this week, and Min Dariwal is here keeping me company. Hi, Min. Hi, Madeline. How are you? I'm good, thanks. This is nice. A nice little change up here while Claire is off gallivanting, I guess. Yes, she's going to be back later in August. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, we have this long weekend coming up. Yes. Any plans for you or your family? Um, well, I can speak to some failed plans that, that we had. We were supposed to go camping, and I went online to try desperately to book a site, and it was just... It was not even worth it. Like even on the cancellations on Tuesday, no chance. So uh, the mountains will have to wait. And I think we'll uh, probably stay local. And there's a bunch of stuff going on around town. So we'll do some of that. Uh, probably, you know, sit in the back and light a fire and uh, just uh, enjoy each other's company, I think. Well, that sounds good. Yeah. The last camping trip I tried to book, we had to cancel because it was so smoky. And oh, yeah. we worried about hiking all day, breathing in that air. Absolutely. And I'm seeing some smoke in the air today as well. So maybe yeah. it's good that you'll stay inside, do some events closer to home. For sure. Um I am right now fostering six kittens plus their mother for just a week. So I think a lot of my weekend will be spent cuddling with those kittens. It's been amazing so far. One of them is so cute. His name is Mr. Whiskers and he has these (laughs) giant whiskers. Oh, wow. He's been climbing all over my body. Um, We are giving them back to, you know, the family on uh, Monday. Cool. Um, And all of them are going to be adopted. So that's been great. But um, if I can pull myself away from the kittens at any point this weekend, there is a lot going on in the city. Taste of Edmonton continues, and the Heritage Festival is about to start. These are two really big in-person events, and they're happening as COVID-19 cases are spreading quickly again. My colleague Paige Parsons has been watching the numbers. Paige, could you put the most recent COVID numbers in perspective? What are we seeing? Yeah, and if if you look at the case numbers, they're not actually that alarmingly high yet. So, you know, it's not like what we're seeing, what we saw during the the big spikes over the past, you know, however many months of the pandemic. But what we are seeing again is that the R value has increased. And what that means is that the virus is spreading um, at an exponential rate. So, for instance, like the R value tells us like how many... um, people, a person who's infected, will how many other people that they're going to infect. And if that value is over one, that means that we're, we're growing, that it is expanding. And so um, at the beginning of July, July 1st, when we were still, we still had some restrictions in effect, that was below one. I think it was at about 0.75. And then the, the R value, which they don't put out every day, but the, the kind of the recent um, set that we got for a mid-July-ish was 1.48. So it doubled after, wow. yeah, after those COVID restrictions all came off. Um, so that virus is, it's going. And we haven't seen a huge surge in grand case numbers um, and hospitalizations are still low for the time being. But, you know, experts are worried about about how fast it's growing, even though the, the actual numbers are still small. Okay. Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, spoke about the pandemic on Wednesday, and this was after almost a month of no updates from her. And I know that she announced that even more pandemic restrictions are going to be gone. So what's changing and what's the justification for it? Yeah, it was kind of shocking for everyone because she came out of, not out of nowhere, but she came out after a long time. And she basically said, hey, guess what? We need to rejig. We need to... um, 
I don't know if saying move on is fair, but but that's kind of what she said. Basically that, you know, the province has gone to extreme lengths to deal with COVID-19. We've put all of these resources into it and we need to walk that back, deal with other issues that are coming up. So they're going to cut a bunch of things that we've all gotten used to, like uh, contact tracing is going to be pared way down. Um, If you're a close contact, you're not going to be getting a call anymore. Um, Rules around quarantining have really changed. Um, they're, They're taking a lot of those away. And I think the one that surprised a lot of people the most is that if you test positive for COVID-19 by mid-August, you are not required to isolate anymore. You can, it's recommended, but you can just carry on like, oh, I'm COVID positive, but I still want to go to the grocery store. You legally can do that. And let's compare this to what's happening in other places like BC, for example, where they're bringing in more restrictions, right? Yeah. And it, Alberta's cases and, and the, the R value climbing as, as other provinces have lifted their restrictions, like they're seeing this too. We're not we're not having some extraordinary um, thing happening with COVID here. Other places are seeing it, but they're maybe going to handle it differently. And, and because our restrictions came off first, we're a bit ahead of the pack. But you said yeah, L, uh, BC is seeing cases climb again, and they actually added more restrictions back in. I think in uh, specifically in the Okanagan region is where they decided to reintroduce a bunch of measures that had previously been lifted because they want to stem that, the rise that they're seeing. So how are people in Alberta reacting to this this change in the public health strategy? What are you seeing? Initial reactions, you know, people, it was a lot of information that that came out Wednesday, a big information dump. And so people were, were quite surprised. Um, a lot of healthcare practitioners, like doctors who've been very outspoken throughout the pandemic, are very upset. Uh, they see this as that it's dangerous to, to children who haven't been able to get a vaccine yet and um, other vulnerable people whose immune systems... I, um, even with the vaccine, doesn't really protect them. So they're they're pretty concerned about that. And we heard that um, from from a few infectious disease experts, from medical doctors, and yeah, and and even the mayor of Edmonton said he was surprised uh, to see this move. And there are still so many people out there who have yet to receive just one dose of vaccine. And I learned this week that Alberta's vaccination rate is lagging behind compared to other provinces. What are some of the reasons why that might be the case? Yeah, and that's a that's a complicated question, and it kind of depends what numbers you're looking at exactly. So in terms of first doses, we're definitely lagging behind. Um, with fully vaccinated people, we are we were close to the national average, but now we're falling below it. And uh, some of our colleagues did some great reporting on it this week, and they talked to different experts about this. And it could be – it's hard to say a lot of it's, – it's a diverse set of reasons, but one of them that's kind of interesting is that Alberta skews younger, and we know that across the country, younger people are are not getting vaccines at the rate that older people are. So that could be one thing. Um, we've heard, uh, we, you know, we talked to an expert on sort of rural culture, and there is a history of vaccine hesitancy um, in in some communities in Alberta, in rural Alberta, and it's yeah, it, it kind of depends. Um, there's there's a lot of different reasons why people don't get vaccines, and that's something that I think people are puzzling over. Hmm. We are heading into this long weekend and there are these festivals that are going to probably draw big crowds. And I'm, I'm wondering how Edmontonians are feeling as they as they go to these events. Um, and I know you went out and talked to people at Taste of Edmonton recently. What did they tell you? 
Yeah, I went out um, during a lunch hour. So I, I got out there before noon and it was really filling up. I was surprised to see, you know, what a big crowd on a weekday. But there are more people back in office buildings downtown. And also there was families, there was kids. And it was interesting because it was you're seeing like a fulsome crowd, which we haven't seen for a long time in Edmonton. And within it, you saw kind of a sprinkling of masks around. Um, I spoke to a bunch of people who, a few people that said they were totally comfortable, comfortable. they're very over COVID, they don't care. Um, but I'd say more so, a lot of the people I spoke to, they either had a mask maybe around their chin while they were eating, eating some food, or they, you know, one woman told me she had a mask in her bag, but she was feeling really safe. So she didn't think she needed to wear it. But if she got into a more crowded part of the festival, she'd put it on. So people seemed cautiously optimistic. And, you know, they, they were, they felt safe enough, obviously, to show up at a festival in the first place. So, Right. So lots of different attitudes, it sounds like. Well, thank you so much for this, page. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, Madeline. So, Min, Paige checked out Taste of Edmonton. The right. other big event going on this weekend is, of course, Heritage Festival. Yes. And I remember going to this festival back in 2017 when they set an attendance record. I think it was more than 300,000 people who showed up. And that was just on the Sunday alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. This year, we have this surge in COVID cases. How are organizers grappling with that and and, and the risks? Yeah, well, it, for sure. I mean, 2017, I remember that uh, year because uh, the, the weather was a little spotty. But yeah, there was a ton of people that showed up. And uh, this time around, it, it's not going to be the same. I think they're expecting um, much less than that, like only 40% of capacity. So uh, there will be a lot fewer people. Uh, but yes, COVID has been front and center for them uh, as they uh, organize this year's event. And uh, they're, they're calling it a touchless event. So there won't be any tickets like in the past when you got tickets for food and things like that. Uh, and much like... Um, uh, you know, some other festivals in town, you know, you're, you're j- basically using a debit card or uh, some sort of credit card to pay for uh, food, which will still be available at all of the, uh, the sites. And uh, they only have 46 uh, countries that will be represented this year. Sometimes the number has been as high as uh, in the 70s or in the mid 60s. So there will be quite a few uh, fewer um, countries that will be uh, there at at the site, but uh, there will be a lot of uh, you know uh, social distancing and spacing, and uh, getting into the event will be different uh, compared to, to previous years. So if I go, what is it going to look like? Well, I, you know, I, I saw some video because there was a news conference earlier this week, and to me, it looks pretty much the same. There's going to be a big white circles painted uh, on on the grass in a lot of different areas where people can kind of uh, be as a group and, uh, you know, kind of have a safe space. There's going to be a lot of picnic tables, but they're going to be spread out compared to previous years where they've been kind of grouped together. And uh, like, like some other festivals, like even at uh, the Taste of Edmonton, I think if you've been to the Taste of Edmonton, some of the, uh, you know, um, places that you go uh, have like plastic uh, plexiglass and things like that. So that will be in place. But uh, more than anything, I think you're going to notice that it's going to be touchless. And, uh, you know, even getting in this year is going to be different. You have to go to the uh, site's, the, the site's website and, uh, you know, you have to book a time. So there are two-hour windows. You get, uh, say, for instance, you want to go on Saturday. You have to go online, eventbrite.ca, I think it is. And uh, you have to book your time and you have to get there between that time. So if you book a time between one and three, uh, you have to get there between one and three, but you can stay as long as you like. So that is going to be different this year. And, and, that, and they're going to only be allowing in uh, groups of like 4,000. I know that sounds like a lot, but that's how many people they're allowing in between those 
different uh, two-hour breaks. So essentially, if you wanted to go on Saturday, you book a, a two-hour window, you try to hit it. And if you want to go on Monday, you book a two-hour window then and you try to hit it that way. And then you get an email and it gives you a confirmation number. And uh, it's very technical this year, right? So you're using your phone a lot and uh, you're online. Speaking of technology, I know a lot of restaurants are not using paper menus anymore. Right. So at the Heritage Festival, how will it work? How will you actually know which food items are for sale? Yeah, you will have to go online and onto their site. And then it's uh, the ordering process will be via text. So I think, you know, if uh, if you use any kind of uh, any different kind of apps where you order food and things like that, you'll be used to it. So, uh, for instance, uh, say you go to the Jamaica uh, Pavilion and uh, they have a menu online. You'll order what you want. You'll send that text. It'll tell you where to send it. And then uh, they'll either call your name or your, you'll get a text saying your food's ready and you go and get it and then you pay with your debit card. So I think it's, it's, it's pretty much how we live our lives right now. And uh, Heritage Festival has adapted that for sure. Speaking of those menus, man, are there <laughs> favorites of yours? <laughs> You know what? I was trying to think back um, a couple of years ago. I got a chance to to be a judge, and uh, that was like that was an amazing day. Uh, just eating all the different kinds of foods because uh, let's face it. I mean, it's you know you can't go there and and, and put down two hundred dollars and just uh, eat all the food you want. But that day we were sampling all sorts of stuff. I mean, the the stuff that jumps out. This might you know uh, sound kind of. Uh, uh, Predictable, but the pierogies at the Ukrainian pavilion were mm. amazing. Uh, it felt like somebody's grandma had just made them. And uh, I, I can't remember if it was the Caribbean pavilion or if it was the Jamaican pavilion, but they had this jerk brisket or jerk chicken. And uh, yeah, it was like, um, you know, we were in Flavortown and it was <laughs> amazing and so tasty. But there's so many different places there, uh, so much variety. I remember we even had some tea at the Iranian uh, pavilion, which was amazing, like fresh mint. Uh, and hot water and it and just the way they were pouring it. I'm a bit of a, a tea aficionado, I would say, but uh, that was amazing. So if they're down there this weekend, you certainly have to try their tea. It's so good. I'm more of a coffee fan, but I have had amazing coffee at the Heritage I'm Festival sure that, too. Yeah, I'm sure they have so much variety down there for sure. And this event is not just about food, right? What no. else is going on in terms of arts, entertainment, dancing perhaps? That's right. Well, they're, they're starting something new this year called the World Music Week, and it's going on at the Heritage Amphitheater. And uh, it started on Thursday, goes till Saturday, starts at 7 every night, 7 p.m. And uh, you have to buy tickets at eventbrite.ca. But uh, you know what? There's I looked at the list of the, the different bands that are there. I, I, you know, I didn't recognize a lot of them. So uh, it looks like it'll be a pretty cool uh, event. And um, the tickets range from around 35 to about 80, 85. And uh, so, yeah, we've been without live music for a year and a half. I think that'll be a very popular event. So that is certainly something to check out before uh, the big Heritage Festival uh, begins on Saturday. Okay, and that's just running on the same days as the festival itself? Well, it, it, it started on Thursday, but it ends uh, after Saturday. Okay. So, um, yeah, it kind of overlaps a little bit and, uh, and ends on the weekend. Okay, thanks, man. Okay, you bet. Students have been through so much this year, and despite the pandemic, some of them managed to really shine. This next story is a great example of someone who triumphed despite a lot of challenges. Chase Suse is from the Samson Cree Nation in Musquachis. He just graduated from McEwen University and earned the President's Medal. This is one of the school's top awards, and good grades are not enough. You need to be a leader, someone who makes your community better. 
Chase and I spoke earlier this week, and I'd love to share with you, Min, some of the highlights from our conversation. For sure. So Chase was an excellent student at McEwen, um, but that wasn't always the case. He said he was an average high school student. He graduated back in 2012, and he didn't really know what he wanted to do. People told him to go to university, so he enrolled at the U of A. But he said he found the school really difficult. Classes were so big. He felt like a number. And I think that's an experience a lot of students have. Overwhelming at some times, Mm -hmm. right? So he actually stopped going to school and he worked a series of jobs, everything from roofing to security, concrete. But deep down, he always wanted to go back to school. So he ended up following a few friends to McEwen in 2017. He thought he might eventually go work for the RCMP, but he ended up changing course. And that's because tragedy struck in his first year. My journey completely changed while I was over at McEwen. I mean, in 2017, I, I lost my only and eldest brother. And um, yeah, I don't know, like, I, I went to several summer camps and I, I learned so much from our elders and I learned so much about my community and I learned so much of the hardships of why my uncles, why my aunties, or why so many of my family members were, were hurting and were kind of dealing with uh, certain adversities. And, um, you know, I thought to myself, I don't want to join policing. I don't want to put my own people away. I don't want to be in that system. So um, my whole pursuit, it, it completely changed while I was over at McEwen. And, you know, I, I went to, uh, um, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the Bachelor of Commerce program and, uh, yeah, went, went can f- furthered on my education. So, yeah. You know, once we lost our brother up in 2017, it was actually one week prior to my midterms and, it was it was such a tough time. Like, I didn't even know what to do. I didn't know what I should do in that moment. Um, you know, it, I, I believe he passed away on a Thursday. On and on the Friday, I was like, "What do I do? Am I supposed to go to class? Do I notify my my instructors? Should I email them?" So I went directly to the Indigenous Center, uh, and you know, I, I I spoke with them and the advisors there. There, they're like, "Chase, you know what? We have you. Uh, we'll send all the the emails to your instructors. We'll contact them." And it was just like meeting those kind of people, making those kind of connections. And I, I want to say that those are like my greatest accomplishments because the people are honestly, truly what make an institution. And um, yeah, I mean, I finished that first year off making the Dean's list and it was just, I, I, I found like, I found my calling. I, I found like, like things were working out and like, I was like, you know what, this is for my brother. This is for his, his journey. And, you know, it, it just continued throughout my education. You know, every year I kept on getting a letter, like congratulations, Chase, you made the Dean's list for the school of business. And I was just, I was so proud. And I, I was like, Oh my gosh, like I've, I've never had honors. And, you know, back in like high school, like I was never so intrigued about my education. So it was just a complete like turnaround for, for that. And um, I guess some other highlights, I guess, was, um, you know, I, I think I've been like a recipient for around like 40 scholarships and awards over at McEwen. So, I mean, like just that amount of resources and just those opportunities opening up, it just felt like things were just truly like unraveling for me. 40 scholarships. Yeah, only 40. That, uh, that is amazing. I've never heard of that before. 
And I applied to a bunch of scholarships when I was in high school, and I remember how much work was right. involved. And he said he spent so much time writing two to three page essays, getting letters of recommendation from his teachers. This guy worked really hard because he needed that money in order to pay for his education. Right. And he is still working really hard, even though he just graduated. He's already enrolled in a Master of Accounting program at the U of A. It's an intensive program. He's got about a month to go in his first year, mm-hmm. and he's planning to get his chartered professional accounting designation. We know there's a lot of work and testing involved in that process. And he starts at KPMG Edmonton this fall. And beyond that, he has some big goals. One of my real passions is how can I give back to my community and how how can I give back to my hometown? And I want to create my own scholarship fund. I want to create my own mentorship program. I really want to support, you know, Indigenous youth, uh, especially troubled youth, I mean, I, I know so, so very well uh, the hardships, the adversities and coming from a small town and going going to um, a larger post-secondary institution. And it, it can be overwhelming. And if you don't have those supports like I did, I mean, we lost our father at a young age. So I never had that kind of male guidance or anything like that. And uh, the lack of male mentorship was very apparent growing up. So I just want to, you know, I want to create a male mentorship program or I just I just want to give back in any way that I can and support Indigenous youth and, you know, just give them the tools and the resources so they can succeed as well. So inspiring, right? That is that is wild. I mean, I've never met Chase, but just even listening to him and him talking about his perspective and his experience, he's speaking of, you know, having lived and gone through that. And I think he'll have a huge impact on whichever community uh, he decides to help. So, yeah, that is a great story. I think so, too. We're so lucky to have him in Edmonton right now. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton. And this week, our team is Min Dariwal, Leslie Goldstone, Christina Silva, Corey Haverstock, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common. And I'm Madeline Cummings. Thank you so much for listening. There's always so much more to know. So get into The Loop with us every Friday. Please leave us a review wherever you download the show. It really matters. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can reach us at the loop at cbc.ca. And thank you, Min, for keeping me company today. I appreciate it. No problem. It was a pleasure uh, working with you. Always. Were you forced to say that? <laughs> no. No, absolutely not. How about Claire? She's going to come back all sunned from being out on the lakes in Ontario. Uh, it'll be good to see her, too. Yeah, I hear she's seeing her family for the first time in a while. Yeah, that might be an entire episode, actually. (laughs) Looking forward to it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Well, the Oilers, uh, I mean, they lost about five or six players, but they brought in five or six different ones. So uh, I I think the moves were good. You know, they were a playoff team with those players. I think they're still a playoff team with these new players and a couple of upgrades. So let's see what happens. I don't know if you've heard, Min, but there's some other sports going on right now that I've been focusing on. Sports with, like, rings? Yeah. Five rings? Yeah, I used to play rugby in high school. Did you really? Yeah, Yeah. until grade 10. I never played. I was too much of a stick. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.